Thanks for joining the Heights Church podcast today. We hope that you enjoy the message. If you're in the Sydney area, be sure to join us at the Heights Church at Golston Road, Hornsby Heights, Sydney, Australia. I'm going to invite Emily. He's going to come and read for us our Bible reading. It's going to be from 1 John chapter 4. Uh, and when Emily has finished the Bible reading, kids and youth are going to head out. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates his brother or sister, is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they've seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. The chances of having a sermon series on the attributes of God and becoming a theological uh, thesis that we unpack, that you end up listening to a theological lecture each week is great. And, uh, and more so with me than it is with Chris, because Chris kind of is in touch and knows what's going on. For me, I kind of would go back to my notes and, and uh, go back to my, my college notes and seminary notes, and then you end up with a theological lecture. So I pray that it's not like that, because at the end of the day, what I'm aiming at is that you would be empowered to release yourself to God and live for him because you know the character of God and you know the character of God through his word. So let's pray as we open up God's word. Lord, I thank you that we can uh, examine your attributes, that you uh, are clear in the Bible and you have revealed to us who you, who you are, like who, who, who you are as a God and we're able to grab hold of that and through the Holy Spirit we're able to Think about what that means in our lives and what that means in following you. So I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us now and open up our hearts so that we not only would listen, but we would have a way ahead in which we can put into place the things that we learn. I pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Everyone knows that love is the answer. But not everyone can agree on it, on what love is and how it works. There's actually a big debate amongst today's leading philosophers. 
Justin Timberlake, for example, asks, where is love? But Rihanna says, we've found love. The Rolling Stones says, everybody needs someone to love, but Justin Bieber tells us, just love yourself. The Bee Gees ask, how deep is your love? Where Jackie Wilson says, your love keeps on lifting me higher. While Enya says, I'm never, going to, uh, I'm never going to lose your love. Tom Cruise says, I've lost that loving feeling. Tina Turner asks, what's love got to do with it? And the Apostle John says, absolutely everything. So looking at the Apostle John's first letter, a reasonable question to ask is, what is love? And how do we release our lives to live for God? What is love? If you Google the dictionary meaning of love, you can come up with a whole lot of different options. Firstly, an intense feeling of tender affection and compassion, a passionate feeling of romance, desire and sexual attraction, a strong liking for pleasure gained from something, something that elicits deep interest and enthusiasm in somebody. It's strange, isn't it, that I can use the same word to describe my feelings, how I describe my feelings for Susan as I would for ice cream. I can use the same word that says I love surfing as I would use for passionate intimacy. But interestingly, the dictionary does distinguish between human love and God's love. According to the dictionary, love is the mercy, grace and charity shown by God to humanity. Love is the worship and adoration of God. So while completely inadequate definition, there is a distinction, even in the world's eyes, between human love and God's love. From a human perspective, love is about feelings. The rise and fall of love is dependent upon your feelings. I'm falling in love. It's when those feelings well up, when the situation gets to a point where you're feeling that you're, going, that you're in love that, that you, or you're falling out of love. Or I'm feeling the love. Or I've lost that love and feeling. I've lost that love and feeling means that you, you've lost that feeling of being wanted or desired or special or cared for or affirmed. Gary Chapman wrote a book on love and, and challenges the reader to evaluate five areas of love called love languages, so he calls them, to determine which one or two makes you feel the most love. The primary with the secondary backup will make up your love language, so to speak. Words of affirmation, you feel confirmed. Quality time, you feel wanted. Receiving gifts, you feel special. Acts of service, you feel cared for. Physical touch, you feel desired. Which, by the way, are all good because we're emotional feeling beings. It's not like we love robotically, like for receiving flowers and chocolates or a sentimental card or mowing the Lord's lawns in of themselves a love. But as Valentine Day is on Tuesday, let me suggest that flowers, chocolates, sentimental card and mowing the lawns probably will go a long way. We're made by God to love and to be loved. We feel incomplete without it. We're desperate to find it and we're devastated when we lose it. But God's love is different than human love. 
The New Testament was written uh, in, in a century in a world which was Greek-dominated and Greek culture and Greek thinking was dominated, and they had four words for love. And there's a guy called C.S. Lewis who famously wrote a book uh, entitled Four Loves, in which he outlines the four different types of love from Greek language uh, that we translate into one word, love, in English. Each of these Greek words have distinctive elements to it. For example, the Greeks had a specific word for friendship love, like I love you, bro. Or family love, like a, like a mother would have for their child. They had a word for sexual passion, you know that, eros or erotic. And importantly, we think that, that they had a word for God's love, for godly, God's sacrificial, unconditional love, and it was called agape. And that's the love that John refers to over and over again in our passage. In fact, the whole books of John refers to that love, the agape, sacrificial, unconditional love of God. In fact, many people believe that this passage this morning that we read from 1 John 4 is the definitive statement on love in the New Testament. So using agape, John is saying that God's love is sacrificial and it's unconditional. It's sacrificial in that God did not need his creation to love him. He is perfectly satisfied in himself. He has no lack or no need. He wasn't lonely or bored. He didn't need somebody to love, so he created people. He's complete. Even without being loved back, he's complete. His identity is secure. He doesn't need for us to worship him and he doesn't need for us to glorify him and he definitely doesn't need for us to love him. So this means that God's love is truly sacrificial. He just loves, completely giving from who he is. God's love is sacrificial and it's unconditional. Sadly, as a protection for, for our love and from a human perspective, so we don't lose that love and feeling or get hurt, people put conditions on love. I'll love you if you love me in return. I'll love you if you don't change. I'll love you if I continue to feel wanted and desired and considered special or cared for or affirmed. But we need to be warned that if you take the cultural human definition of love and project that onto God and believe that God distributes his love conditionally according to the, our actions, the result will be that we'll end up disappointed with God, we'll end up frustrated with God, we'll end up feeling let down from him when he doesn't live up to our standard of love from a human perspective. See, if we define God's love as good feelings, then when life gets hard and we're not feeling the love, we'll think that God has let us down. And if we define God's love as affirmation, when God comes to correct us because he disciplines those he loves out of his deep love, we'll assume that God must be unloving. And if we believe that love is conditional, when life gets tough and we've been good and religious, and done the things that we thought we ought to do will feel slighted because we believe that we have met the conditions so God should have come through. Don't get confused. God is love, not love is God. 
Love does not define God, but God defines himself, defines love. He is the one who gives love meaning because it is he who always has been and always will be love. In the Gospel of John, like in the Gospel, not in one of his letters, like Matthew, Mark, Luke and John in chapter 17, a prayer that Jesus prayed uh, with his disciples the night before he died was recorded and he prays, Father, make them see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, God's love existed before anything existed on this planet. When there was only God himself, there was relationship within the Trinity. The Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Father and the Holy Spirit is that love and bond and fellowship that held it all together. God's love is deep, deeper and older than the universe. In fact, the whole reason that the universe exists is because of love. The way that the theologian Jonathan Edwards explained it is this, that God created the world because the love, because the love that is himself overflows. So we'll see from our passage, the outworking and overflowing of God's love will empower you and release you to live a life of faith, to step out with him. First, we'll see that God initiates love. 1 John 4 really is the the good news, the the message of the the gospel, the good news of Jesus uh, in a nutshell. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. We love because he first loved us. Now that's going to be hard to get your head around because if as people who feel as though love comes in a conditional format, it's going to be hard. Not only from a human perspective, but that's the way that most religions talk about love. That as you are devoted as you give of yourself, well, then the, the whatever, whoever or whatever come, love comes back from increases, but not with God. Default by default, you might assume that God love, loves me if I love him. And conversely, if I fall short of his conditions, like I mentioned before, and don't give up uh, and, and don't meet his expectations, then he won't love me. But this passage talks about it, doesn't it? It says that God first loved us before you did anything good or bad, before you served at the church and went on roster, before you made good or bad decisions in life. In fact, before you were even born, God loved you. We're not deserving of God's love. We're not owed, he is not owed anything or due. We are not owed anything or due anything from him. He just loves creation and loves us unconditionally as his children. A good place to go to if you've got a Bible is Psalm 145. It's going to be on the screen behind you. But looking at this, starting at verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all that he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him and all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. And he hears their cry and saves them. The first part is what's called common grace or common love. Verse 17, we read that the Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving to all that he has made. 
And that's what we call common love or common grace, where, love, where God in his love gives wisdom and morals and gifts of beauty across the human race, yeah, especially in, in difficult times. It says he upholds those who fall. And that means that he gives endurance and hope and strength because he loves what he has made and those he has made. He sustains and provides our world. The creator does not do anything in this world and does not create anything to gain his love. He just loves. And then when you get down to verse 18 and 20, we have this shift where the psalmist says that the Lord is near to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their desire, he hears their cry, and he saves them. Saves them from what? If we go back to our passage in 1 John 4, it says, This is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. There's this big word in there that I was asked one time when I was going for a youth job. This might be, you know, might have had this at one time. How would you present the word propitiation to youth? And I said, well, first thing, I would never use the word propitiation. And uh, it's one of those words, it's hard to explain what it is. God initiated general love, we know that, but he also initiates saving, redeeming, restoring love, propitiation as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Now, if you've been in church long enough, you would have heard of Jesus' death on the cross. Romans 5 says God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. In love, he gave his son to die for us but not like a heroic act, as a sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. He took the punishment that was due to me and to you and laid it upon himself on the cross. No illustration is ever going to come close to explain what Jesus did for us. Christ took the full brunt of sin on himself. A very, I try not to use rodeo illustrations because all you ever think about and all I ever get talked about is rodeo at the end at, at, at morning tea. So listen to this and forget it straight away. I wrote a book called Coconut and the reason why it was called Coconut is because it cracked your coconut. When you came off, Coconut was pretty intent to uh, come at you and come after you quite uh, massively. And I was at a rodeo at Cops Coliseum, which is a huge entertainment facility, massive, um, where uh, the Raptors play, I think Raptors play there, or somewhere, something like that. Anyway, this is huge. And, uh, and I rode a ball in the afternoon and it just hopped around the arena and they gave me a re-ride. I thought I wasn't that good. And then I drew for my re-ride Coconut. Now, after I stopped throwing up in the afternoon because coconut had a reputation, but also coconut you could win on too. So it was like cross between the two bads. You're either going to smash your coconut and you're going to win or you're going to, you know, whatever it's going to be. So what coconut would do is that as soon as he felt you releasing your hand to get off, he'd spin back the other way. 
and when he spins back the other way, then you're left on the ground with your hand on the back of the bull and you can't open up your fingers. And that means that you're hung up and the bull turns around and goes woof and woofs you. And, uh, and so the idea is that if you're ever going to ride a bull in your life and you come off, um, you hug the bull and you try to get as closely as possible and you don't leave any gap that can hit you in between. So I rode coconut. I came second in the rodeo, but then I came off. Well, then I had to get off. And so I tried to get off. Coconut did his thing, spent underneath. And I'm standing there on the ground with this uh, bull. I've got a picture of him inside uh, looking, at, uh, looking at me. And, uh, and uh, I looked down and he had this reputation of running and smashing you against the fence so that he, you would just crumple and then turning around and eating you. Well, not literally eating you, but eating you in, in a bull sense. He turns around, I'm lined up for the fence, and all of a sudden it was like, a, it's like something just landed on us. And, uh, and I, uh, all of a sudden standing there, and no coconut, my hand's free, and coconut's out there smucking this other guy. And I went, wow, isn't that amazing? You get footage like that on TV and, and things like that. I went home, looked at the footage, and what happened was my mate, Kevin Gay, who was my best man at my wedding, jumped from the top of the chute, landed on top of Coconut, got my hand undone, stood there, and took a smack from Coconut that anybody would ever get. If you view Coconut as sin, and if you... Kevin is doing a heroic thing. He took the brunt for me. I deserved it. I sat on his back. I deserved every minute of it. And we deserve every minute of our sin. And we deserve what sin affords to us. And what sin affords to us is death, separation from God. And we get what we deserve. And God rightly judges us for not only disobeying him, but our heart turning from him. And yet he jumped, or jumped onto the cross, to take that full brunt of my sin, so that I would live. But he not only took that full brunt, he died so that I might have my desires of my life fulfilled. Now I'm not talking my desires for a new boat, or desire for to surf better than what I do. I talk in a, my desire for an abundant life. My abundant life with God that I strongly desire for. He gives for those who fear him. God initiated love in death for cross. Now as Christians we're called children of the living God. And he shields us under his wing. For God so loved us, the people walking separate from him, that he came to save us. Once we were people, now we're heirs of Christ. God initiated his love, but he also motivates us. If you're not motivated from that love, that sacrifice, that giving, I don't know whatever would. 1 John 4, 18 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love, God's sacrificial, unconditional love, casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. He took the punishment for us, so we have no fear. 
or we shouldn't have fear. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. If you're walking around in life not released from the fear of whether you meet God's standards or not, you have not listened to the first part. God is complete. He doesn't need for us to follow him, to do good in this world before he accepts us. He just does. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? And because it's gone, our eternity is secure and it releases us from the fear of death and the fear of the grave, as we look at verse 9, to follow him. And we need to get hold of that because many people think that God's Motiv- uh, that, that God motivates us with fear. Fear of gaining or maintaining our standard with God. Now, God's infinitely powerful and that certainly demands reverence from us, but our response to his power depends on how we view his character and the character of the person who wields it. For example, if someone had kind of a neutral power, you, you might have fear because you really don't know where you stand with that person. Is there power for you or against you? You don't know that. If the power that a person wields is, is evil, then you certainly will be afraid because you know that it's against you. But when you recognise God who is infinitely powerful but also loving and merciful and gracious, then fear turns to faith. God always uses his power and purposes for love and in accordance with his love. His power is not against us, it's for us. His power is to protect us and to redeem us, to renew us in love. That doesn't mean, and we'll talk about this later on when we look at God as holy, that God doesn't judge, but he loves at his call. And because we have complete confidence in God and his loving sacrifice on the cross, we'll know that we can serve him without fear of rejection and our future is secure in him. We are his children and our identity is secure in him. We try incredibly hard to build our identities, whether it's through work or through friends or through sport or through some kind of accomplishments, but when it comes to, our, uh, to actual identity and who we are at the core, there's nothing more foundational than God calling us his children. When he speaks to you, he calls you his children. Now, whatever names or titles that have been placed over you by your friends or by your work or by the accomplishments that you have made, nothing comes close to you are a child of God. You are his beloved his people. When God sees you, it's not our worst failures or our greatest successes that defines us. But what defines us is what God did. In Jesus on the cross is what defines you by his sacrifice. And then we'll grow in love according to our outworking of his love in so much that we know that we're, because we know that we're loved, we can outwork love not wanting to perform and not wanting to get a title other than well done, good and faithful servant, to love others. So this love is sacrificial. It's, it's initiated by God. It motivates us 
as individuals and as a church. But the living and sacrificial, unconditional love will transform us because we can't do it by ourselves. We can't, as humans, actually love unconditionally. You may have heard the, uh, the, the term before that it's better to give than receive. Why is it better to give? Because you feel the, the, the love of the person who you gave to. You get their great reaction. You get their thanksgiving. You get the joy that's on their face. I don't know whether you've given something where someone just goes, ah, yeah, thanks, puts it aside, doesn't even open up the present before. That's, that's not better to give to receive when it's like that. But rather, God's love transforms us so that we might, he might love through us. Two times in our passage, he talks about his love being perfected in us. You see that in verse 11 and you see that in verse 17. His love being made complete in us. It's an ongoing work of the Lord, transforming us by his love. And the reason why we need to hear this so clearly is that oftentimes in our culture, love is defined or equated to mere affirmation. But the problem is, isn't it, that if we're waiting for God to affirm us, then when he wants to correct us, we'll actually feel as though we're not affirmed in his sight. The most loving thing you can do in our culture, or the most unloving thing you can do in our culture, it seems as though to tell somebody that they're wrong or correct them. But although God loves us, where we're at, just the way we are. He loves us too much to just leave us where we're at, to just leave us there. His love is perfected in us. In Greek language, it's called telos, and telos comes with this word that's loaded. It says it comes with a goal. There is a goal. There's a mission of, of his love and his perfection. And his mission is that we might mature in him. We might grow in him. We might grow in our love more and more that our love would start to overflow because Christ's love is growing more and more in us. God says in Hebrews that he disciplines those in love and thank God he does. That's not, that's a, I've never seen that ever in church. Are there any praise points? Yes, I was disciplined by God this week. Never seen that come out. But we know that's true, don't we? Just even from a human perspective, no parent would ever affirm destructive behaviour from their children. Let's say, for example, they got into the habit of lying over and over again. Like you've got this four-year-old child that, that lies and ste or steals. You wouldn't just let them go. You love them too much just to let them go to a point where they become an adult and they're still into the habit of stealing and lying. No, there would need to be some intervention that you would bring in place. And the four-year-old, you would hope, would grow out of it at time. As a parent, parental love is going to have an aim, have a, have a goal of producing maturity in our kids so that they grow up to be adults and make adult decisions. And God, as our Heavenly Father, who loves us far more than any other earthly father would, is going to love us and grow in us his love. 
So we've learned that love is maturing us and is the hallmark of our Christian life and we, we know that it motivates us and it's initiated by God and we want to be people of love because we know that God is love and we're going to allow ourselves to be transformed so our love grows and grows because ultimately love connects. Three times in this passage he calls us to love one another, to love one another. It's really the essence of the message of John. It's not a command. He groans. He longs for us to love one another. Something deeper than just, well, you need to love on somebody. You see, in verse 7, very opening verse, he says, Beloved or friends, let us love one another. And again in verse 11, let us love one another. And we learn from the passage, not only should we love one another, but love doesn't terminate with us. We're not just like a, a well that God fills up with his love and we keep on, oh, praise God, he's loving us, he's loving us, he's loving us, and our well gets bigger and bigger and bigger. No, we're, we're meant to be a river, a river that flows in us and through us and out of us into our world. Look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we, lo- but if we love one another, God abides in us. No one's ever seen God because God is spirit. But one thing is for sure, is that as you love in your community, what are we told? They'll know you are Christians by your love. They just won't know that you, what religion you follow. I don't think it's talking about that. They'll know God's love by your love because it will be right before them. When you help a friend in need, God's generous love becomes visible When you comfort somebody who's hurting, God's compassionate love becomes visible. You're not God to them. God flows his love through you, through the Holy Spirit. When you overcome racial barriers in your community, God's reconciling love is visible. Think of the French poet who wrote Les Mis, Victor Hugo, got it right when he said, to love another person is to see the face of God doesn't just apply to the extraordinary things in life, and I'm pretty sure that you're familiar with those things where you come alongside somebody in pastoral care in times of need, but the mundane becomes sacred. The little things have significance. Sharing a meal becomes a symbol of sharing life. Encouraging text reminds people that they're not alone. A ride through Golston Gorge is, is literally laying down your life for a friend at times. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus said, this is what the world will look at and what sets us apart. In John chapter 13, it says, they will know that you are my disciples by your love, by your growing love, even by the mistakes you made, you make in trying to love. Love is given to us by the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit that is developed and mature in our life, that we will see and understand and testify to others his saving love. God's perfect, sacrificial, unconditional love enables us and empowers us and releases our lives from fear to boldly step out and trust him. Amen? Let's pray. How do we understand your love? 
in such a short time this morning, it's impossible. It's high and depth and deep and wide and, and long, and, you know, the, the whole filling of this universe. So great is your love for us. We can't escape it. We're surrounded by you and your love. But Lord, we remember this morning that great love that you so loved this world, the mess of this world, the system of this world, that you gave your son so that whoever believes from it would be saved. I pray, Lord, this morning that we would believe that that sacrifice of love that you gave is sufficient. There is nothing that I can do to ever make myself right. You don't need it. You just gave it by your grace. And so I pray, Lord, that we would stop striving and start being disciples of you, growing, maturing, and living out your love to this world and to you. I pray this in your name. Amen.